Our first speaker today is Sol. Sol is married to Cal. They've got two small kids. Sol is a dentist, so if you've been looking for one, try and tap her up at the end for a bit of moonlighting. Um, but without further ado, let's welcome Sol. lovely to be here. It's my first evening service um, and I apologize in advance because I'm slowly losing my voice. Um, I did ask my kind husband if he could do the pre preach for, my, for me but he said absolutely not so here I am. Um, as Josh kindly said my name is Sol and I'm married to Cal and we have two children called Lexi and Arlo and we've been coming to St. Nick's for just over a year. And for those of you who don't know what I do for my day job, well, you've said it now, I'm a dentist. Now, I'm not going to lie, I never usually get a positive reaction when I tell people this. I normally either get people hiding their mouth, telling me not to look, or telling me how much they hate dentists, what terrible experiences they've had, or that they're terrified of us. I find this pretty funny because I don't know if you'd agree, but I wouldn't say I look particularly scary. I'm about five foot one at a push, and I buy children's size four shoes. I'd recommend it, it's great, it's so much cheaper. Um, I blame the media for one, and I don't know if you've heard of the book called Demon Dentist, a popular kid's book by David Williams. Now, I've not read it myself, but as the title suggests, it's probably not about a lovely, friendly dentist who helps out the community. Lots of horror films also depict dentists as narcissists who like to inflict pain. Now the Bible, and that's not me, sorry. <laughs> now the Bible doesn't really seem to mention dentists specifically, I don't think, please correct me if I'm wrong, but it does mention work throughout the Bible and specifically working for him. Now when you work for God, it doesn't mean that he suddenly becomes your employer who pays your wages. Colossians 3 verses 23 to 24 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now, my parents are South Korean immigrants, and we came to England when I was four years old. We really struggled with money growing up, and it was really tough. Um, my mum worked long hours as a cleaner, and my dad a security guard at night whilst completing his studies to make ends meet. Now, people with Asian parents will understand me, that if you're not a doctor, dentist, or lawyer, they don't really want to know. Um, so success and achieving high was drummed into me from very young, and I, and I did really resent this growing up. I can understand sometimes why, in a way, they did want this, because they wanted a better life for us, I suppose. And I'm not saying that it's bad to be successful or strive to be, but the thing is we shouldn't get fulfillment out of just reaching for the next superficial goal. To me, being distinct in my profession is remembering that I work for him and that my priority should always be this. By using the skills and talents he has given me, I can bring glory to him by being able to take care of others, especially the most vulnerable. Now, I remember when I treated a very young patient who, at the age of 25, had lost nearly all of her teeth due to smoking and her addiction to drugs and general lack of self-care. She'd also burst into the into tears when she walked in the room and said how embarrassed she felt. And after three months of treatment, 
we managed to give her a denture and restore some confidence and self-belief. And for the first time, I saw her smile since I met her. And these kind of experiences make me realize that what I do is important and that I shouldn't compare myself to others, especially my colleagues with those shiny Instagram accounts who focus on the cosmetic side of dentistry only and to stop always thinking about getting ahead, to not be blinded by money or success. I used to think my faith didn't come into dentistry at all. In fact, I did quite a good job at separating it and compartmentalizing it, especially when I was doing my training in London. I found it to be a pretty competitive environment, and even the tutors would say, if you want to get ahead in your career, then you need to step on those around you. And I've come to realize that my faith is essential in what I do, in the way I parent and raise up my children, in the way I work, through the ups and downs of marriage, but also, crucially, in my job. Unfortunately, I can't invite my patients to Alpha or tell them I will pray for them, not out loud anyway, but I can help dissipate their fears, help them to gain confidence and start smiling again, get people out of pain and help improve their oral health and change lifelong habits for the better. I'm actually moving jobs soon and going to work in prison as a dentist, just to clarify, and I'm hoping to make even more of a difference. I've actually always been interested in prisons and actually growing up, my friend's mum used to be a prison dentist. And I think that's why I got into dentistry in the first place. I feel that despite anyone's circumstances or background, everyone has a right to good health care, to be listened to and respected, and I do believe that God has called me into this new job. Now, I'd like to encourage you to allow your faith to seep into all aspects of your life, especially your work or career, maybe where you haven't really allowed it to before. Ask him, God, why have you put me here, and how do you best want to use me in this place? And what difference can I make? I'm hoping that even in the mundane parts of my day, just in the way I speak to my patients, in the way I can lessen their childhood trauma, or even being able to give them the, my time of day, I will make a tiny bit of difference in someone's day. By making a coworker smile or by intentionally not joining in with work gossip. In our home group, we have been talking a lot about being distinct and counter-control, especially in our workplace. And that is what I've been trying to do. Now be encouraged that you are doing God's work on earth every day, whatever job you are doing, even if it's something that doesn't often get a positive reaction from other people, like I do sometimes. From the verse I spoke about previously, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Find ways of spreading positivity and light. And lastly, find the value in what you are doing because God certainly does. Dear Heavenly Father, just please help us and guide us to be distinct in our workplace, or at university, or at school, um, wherever we may find ourselves, and whatever we may be doing. Amen. Thank you so much, Saul. That was brilliant and very encouraging. Next up, we have Harry. Harry's married to Purdy. They have two kids. They moved to Bristol relatively recently. Um, and we're very excited to hear what you have to say. Come on. Good evening, folks. Good to see some of the students who I haven't seen for a while. Um, 
Yeah, I'm Harry. I'm one of the four ordinands here at St. Nick's. And if you're not sure what that means, um, being an ordinand uh, means I'm going through a time of training and uh, formation at Theological College, preparing me for future ministry in the Church of England. And so back in August, I moved to Bristol from Gloucester with my family, Purdy, and our two children, uh, Reuben and Orla. Um, so today, I want to focus on what makes the church distinct from the rest of the world. And my message is simply this, it's love one another. Let's read the passage together now in John 13, 34 to 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Can I let you into a little secret? When teachers and preachers um, repeat something, it usually means that it's something really important that they want you to hear. Let me say that one more time. <laughs> I was just checking you guys were awake and listening. In giving his disciples this new command, Jesus says the phrase, love one another, not once, not twice, but three times. So for Jesus, this isn't just important. This is the essential mark of what sets his disciples apart from other disciple groups and communities. For us today, it is what should set the church apart from the rest of the world. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and tell them that you love them? As nice as that may be, or uncomfortable for my fellow introverts, Jesus isn't talking about this in this passage. He's talking about the willingness to lay down our lives for each other. This is radical love. The whole series so far has been about holiness, and love and holiness cannot be separated, because Holy is who God is. He moves in love. So as we are made holy through his presence, the overflow of our lives should be love. I, like many of you, am a huge fan of the artist Charlie Maxey, and I particularly find this illustration coming up on the screen now um, resonates with the message today. What do you think success is, asked the boy. To love, said the mom. I believe that the measure of the church's success would be how well we have loved one another. So to go with the three times that Jesus said it, I want to offer you guys three practical ways we as the church can love one another. And this should be fairly easy to remember because it's the same three things a lot of you guys are already doing to belong to St. Nick's. So the first one is pray for one another. In his book, Life Together, Bonhoeffer says this. A Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another, or it collapses. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. His face may have been strange and intolerable to me, but it is transformed in intercession into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died, the face of a forgiven sinner. And I'm, I'm sure all of us here can think of 
another believer who kind of rubs us up the wrong way, whose face we find intolerable. Don't look around to see if they're here. But these are the very people Jesus wants us to love. And it's through lifting them to him in prayer that we begin to see Jesus in them. And they become our fellow sisters and brothers. So this is how we can begin to love one another. Number two is serve one another. Jesus says in the passage, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So if we just rewind a few verses earlier, we find Jesus at the evening of the Last Supper. He steps down from the table and he takes off his outer garment. He wraps a towel around his waist and he simply kneels down and he fills up a basin of water and he just begins washing his disciples' feet. And he physically lowers himself beneath them. So for us, this is a perfect example of how we can love one another in in serving them. Humbling ourselves to the dirt and mess of one another's lives. When uh, me and Purdy have at times really struggled with health and other things, um, the church loved us and served us by providing meals for us, looking after our children. And it was such a profound way and us knowing that we were loved. So this is how we can love one another. The third one is give to one another. The end of Acts 2 gives us this kind of beautiful picture of Christian fellowship where members of the church are ensuring no one else in the church goes without. People sell things and they give money to people in need. And for us today, this is only achieved when we hold what we have lightly and we have generous hearts to give away when we see a fellow brother or sister in need. And what we read at the end of that passage is that because of this way of loving each other, God adds to their number daily those being saved. This is how we can love one another. So to summarize, we're not called to nice, kind of shallow, lukewarm love limited to Sundays but radical, sacrificial, generous, everyday love. It is this kind of love that Jesus has called us to, and it is the power of this kind of love that will set the church apart from the world so that they may see the glory of God and be drawn to him. So love one another, love one another, love one another. And by this, they shall know that we are his disciples. Amen. Let me just pray. King Jesus. Thank you so much for the example you set us in how to love one another. Lord, this week, help us pray for those who we struggle with. Help us serve each other every day. Help us find ways to serve each other. And Lord, convict us where we can, where we're holding on to things too tightly and help us give away to those who need, who are in need. Lord, we pray as we love each other this way that you would add to our number, that the world would see your love in action and they'd be drawn to you. Amen. Amen. Harry, thanks so much. I am going to welcome our third speaker. Our third speaker is Gabby. Gabby is studying. Shush, shush, shush. We haven't got to that bit yet. Gabby is studying veterinary science. She's part of our student community. She heads up Coffees on Campus. Would you welcome Gabby? 
Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, as was just said, I'm Gabby. Um, yeah, I'm a student um, here studying veterinary, although this year I've taken a break from my vet studies to do a degree called Medical Humanities, uh, which is kind of rogue, but it's, uh, it's good fun. Um, I've been at St. Nick's for around three and a half years now, uh, which is wild. It's gone, it's gone speedy quick. Um, I love this church. I'm deeply grateful for it and the way that the Lord has shaped me during my time here. Um, it's been such an adventure. Um, I'm loving this distinct series. I'm so honored to be able to share a bit of my heart with you today. Thank you so much for the privilege. So to me, being distinct looks like declaring with my mouth and believing in the depths of my heart for me, only Jesus. Being distinct looks like looking at the things of this world and saying none of it matters. For me, only Jesus, just give me Jesus. I don't want anything else. Distinction looks like eyes fixed upon one person, one goal, and one thing, and that is Jesus and living a life sold out for him. At uni, in a culture that's fixated with achievement and success and progression in the world, this is a distinct way of living. Um, I've chosen uh, Psalm 27 verses 4 to 5 as my verses of inspiration for today. This reads, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. This psalm, it's up there with one of my favorite passages of the whole Bible. For me, it's one I come back to repeatedly because I want more of what King David had. His life had been so radically transformed by the love, the beauty, and the presence of God that he desired nothing else than to live in and from that place of communion. In this psalm, King David says, One thing I ask, this only do I seek. His heart was set upon one thing. His eyes were on one focus. There's then this beautiful sequence of action in his relationship with God. He desired to dwell to behold and to inquire of the Lord. This is where our distinction as followers of Jesus grows, when we dwell, when we behold, and when we inquire. This is what increasingly sets us apart. When we dwell in the presence of Jesus and in his word, we become acquainted with his nature and his character. We begin to trust him, we commune, we develop intimacy. It becomes a way of being. When we behold him, as David says, we gaze upon him, um, we gaze upon his beauty, we become transformed into his likeness, which is a work of the spirit. 2 Corinthians 3 verses 18 says, and we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. When we spend time in God's presence and when we gaze upon him in his dwelling place, we become captivated, transfixed, and we begin to become transformed. The Spirit leads us increasingly into the image of Jesus. And as Jesus himself promises, when we abide in this place, we bear much fruit. 
when we dwell, when we behold, and when we inquire, this is where our distinction comes from. And as we begin to trust him more, we begin to know him more. And so we declare, like David with assurance, that in the day of trouble, my God will keep me safe. He will hide me and he will set my feet on solid rock. In my own life, I have seen the presence of God transform me. I came to uni not very strong in my faith and full of a lot of pain. I grew up with a very angry father and observed a very destructive and volatile marriage between my parents, which ended in divorce, all factors that led to deep emotional wounds that I protected myself from feeling by becoming hard and walled and closed off. I didn't understand a concept of dwelling in the Lord's presence until later on at my time at uni when I started to spend time with Jesus. If you find this hard, I did too. I used to find it hard to have relationship and to trust. But I began trusting him with small amounts of my time, which has slowly grown. And he has used this space to break down my barriers, to soften me and to heal me from the inside and with, um, in his abundant kindness. Um, I'm not the same forever wrecked by the love of Jesus. And the beauty is that dwelling in the Lord's presence, it was never intended to be the end. It's got to be the start, but our commission right from Genesis has always been for multiplication of disciples, inviting others into um, a loving, worshiping relationship with their heavenly Abba. As I dwell more in the presence of Jesus, I fall more in love with him. And as I have fallen more in love with him, I have become more like him. And he has given me his heart and his burden for people. From a place of dwelling, we are filled up to be sent out into our spheres of influence. But it has to come from this place. As I said, I'm a student and my heart burns for every student in this city to encounter and experience the love of Jesus in their lives. Currently, less than 1% of university students are actively engaged with a church, but this is going to change. We are going to see it change. And it's been a journey of, of prog small progressions in me, but as I have spent more time dwelling in the Lord's presence, he has used that space to speak to me. And last year, he birthed a vision uh, for an evangelistic project, which people uh, in this church here are involved with, where a group of us Christian students, we go out fortnightly onto campus, and we hand out teas, coffee, and biscuits, and we pray with students to bring the love of Jesus, his gospel, and the community of church to a place that really needs it. And when we go out, like everyone here, we stand in the power of our testimonies. I testify that Jesus has transformed me. He has taken such brokenness and heartache and turned it into such beauty. And I get to tell other people about this. We've seen people that have never entered a church building in their life come into church as a result. And I know we are only going to see more. We are propelled to love our neighbor because of the love Jesus pours into us in that secret place of intimacy with him. And when we know the nature of our Father, when we fall in love with him, we can't help but overflow with the fruits of the Spirit, with love, with joy, with peace, with patience, with kindness, with goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And in doing so, we share Jesus with the world. 
day, I encourage you, church, to dwell in the presence of the Lord and in his word, to behold him and gaze upon his beauty and inquire his good, pleasing and perfect will for your life. It's been such a journey with small progressions, but as I have spent more time... Oh, wait, swelling. <laughs> Whoa! This talk. Oh, my gosh. I feel like I just... <laughs> oh, my pages are messed up. <laughs> oh, no. Um, but that's okay. <laughs> Okay, well, <laughs> so I encourage you, church, <laughs> um, yeah, to dwell, to dwell in the presence. Behold him, gaze upon his beauty, inquire of his good, pleasing and perfect will for your life, and from that place, go forth and make disciples, and then come back and repeat that cycle over and over for all of eternity. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us. Yeah, thank you that you saved us. Thank you that you desire closeness and intimacy with us. Thank you that you enter our mess and our brokenness and promise to be with us in it. You don't leave us where you find us. Would we be a people that looks at the world and finds no satisfaction with it? Would we be a people that dwell in your presence and say, for me, only Jesus, and would our lives be for your glory? Amen. Oh,